Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. My name is Ben. I'm so glad to see you here. By the way, as of this year so far, you have perfect church attendance. Way to go. Way to go. And uh, second service, we'll have a few more. And uh, those that don't make it, they join our prayer list for the year. That's how that goes. Uh, hey, Pastor Will is up here with me because we wanted to tell you guys some exciting stuff about the outreach ministry of this church. Uh, around Christmas time, this church demonstrates its heart for this world that God created, for those that are less fortunate, specifically the orphan. We have a real heart for kids around here and the orphan and the fatherless. And so we really, really rally. But we also do a lot of great stuff right here in our own community. And most of that work happens through Will's uh, leadership. Um, at least it falls under his responsibility. He has an amazing group of people to help him do that. But Will, why don't you, if you don't mind, start telling some folks about kind of what we can look forward to this year with Outreach Ministries. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited for the new year. Last year, in 2018, we had the opportunity to serve 10 total times at a place called New Life Mission. And we're still going to continue to serve there, but we're actually adding on a partnership with an organization that's based in Tri-County. It's called the Healing Center. And what's so awesome about the Healing Center, it's just like New Life Mission. We believe, as a core, as a church, that we want to go deep with a partnership. There's a lot of places, a lot of organizations that will kind of go a little shallow, send some money, and then that's about it. That's not the heart of what we do here when it comes to outreach. And we're going to partnership with the New Life, Mission, or New Life Mission and the Healing Center. And what's so cool about the Healing Center is they do a lot of great stuff. They do a lot of things from job placements to job training to food to clothing distribution. But we're going to be based in their warehouse. And I had the opportunity to go to their warehouse, and it's, it's massive. I mean, it is massive, and what's so great about it is it's well-organized, it's clean, it's planned, and we're excited to bring our people there to really make a serious impact. And I don't know how much you know about outreach here at Four Corners, but we have four primary partnerships. It's New Life Mission. The guy who leads that's name's Felix. It's the Healing Center. Our partnership's with them, but there's a lady named Monica who directs the Healing Center. We also have partnerships way, way, way far away from here, a place called Four Corners India. And this year, we're going to continue with the gifts that have come in for the Christmas offering, but also, furthermore, we're going to continue to finish out the boys' home in India. And it's just a spectacular campus that was built from the generosity of the people here at Four Corners, but it was even built before we had our own building. And the last place is Four Corners Cuba. That's what we call it. We're hopeful and hoping to send two teams, about 20 total people, on a mission trip to Cuba this year. Last year we sent a group of 10 and they came back fired up, lives changed, serious impact made. And we're excited to continue to go deep in partnerships with those who are in leadership doing the ministry. We couldn't be more excited about that. Yeah, and there's uh, two big, big ways uh, that we do that mechanically that um, helps dramatically. And then there's kind of one way we do it that is very, very spiritual. It also requires some effort as well. I'll start with that one. Uh, we pray for these people. And so this year, if you have a prayer list, if you don't, by the time we get done with this message series, I'm going to encourage you to keep a running prayer list and show you what I do. We'll do that in a couple weeks. Uh, but we're going to ask you to add them to your prayer list. And we'll, we'll help keep you updated on some of that stuff as the year goes on. The other thing we do is we show up and we help. That's what Will was talking about. You can show up and you can help on these once a month 
um, scheduled outreach days that we have. You can help with the Healing Center. You can help with the, uh, the New Life Mission there in Hamilton. And you can just show up and like give your time. This is a great place to bring younger kids, um, you know, at least if they're, you know, potty trained and that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, babies don't do so well in these environments. But say, say, you know, elementary school up, this is a great place to come and serve alongside your family. And then we, the second way you can do this is you can give some money. Um, and we do this in a big way at, Chris, at Christmas time. And so um, without having the last penny accounted for, it's accounted for, I just don't know it. But last time I checked, let me just give you a little bit of data points. Um, our goal for the Christmas offering this year, which runs through the end of January, was $65,000, 100% participation of those people who call our church home. And it funds the work in India, the Cuba work, the work we're doing here, work in our kids' ministry, as well as this year, we're doing some amazing stuff in students and in kids to reach our community. And so if you were here through the Christmas holidays, you've heard that. If you're a guest, just hang on. You'll hear more about that over the next few weeks. But uh, as of my last count, kind of informal, um, I'm certain some more has happened since then. Are you ready for this? We're at $67,000. So we, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. And uh, I'm blown away. I, I, I had a chance to chat with about five pastors at length of other churches around the country uh, over the holidays. I have a really amazing friend group. And we were just sharing some of the stories. And uh, I got to share the story of this congregation's generosity. And they were blown away. And a couple of guys asked me if I wanted to swap churches. And I was like, just stay back, get behind me, Satan, uh, kind of stuff. And uh, so just... Thank you for your heart, for the orphan, for the fatherless that has been on display for well over a decade. Thank you for the way you've cared for people locally, and thank you for the way you've stepped up to help the ministries happen here. So about $67,000, and just at the 50% mark of participation of those families who call this church home participating. And so what this means is, is I'd love for you by the end of the month to be a part of this offering. If you have no money at all, that, that's fine, but what I would ask you to think about doing is literally going to your couch, getting the change out, bringing it to church, and putting it in an offering envelope, putting your name on it. Because if that's all you have, that's fine. But be a part of this. Be a part of this. All year long, you're going to hear updates, how that money is working. And when you hear them, I want you to have a heart connection to what we're doing. I want you to be a part of what we're doing. And so there's no shame in not having a lot to give. There isn't. So what you do is you give a token. You say, basically, in effect, what I've had to do a lot of times in my life, God, I don't have a whole lot, but I'm going to give what I can. I'm going to ask you to bless it. And this small amount represents a bigger part of my heart. And so just be a part of that. And unless you record it in some way, we don't know. So that means you go online, you put it in the Christmas offering, you put it in an envelope, you, put it, you write Christmas offering on it, you put it, you put it on a check, and you write Christmas offering on, the, on the, uh, the line. And that offering will run through January 31. So we'll, as a church, I said to the folks, um, add it to your prayer list. How can we pray for you, the leadership, and what God wants to do this year in outreach? There's great. There's two things you can pray for. Honestly, there's two things. First one is pray for the leaders that are leading the organization. We're not planning to come in, change a bunch of things, and tell them how they do it. We actually want to partner with them. So if you're praying, pray for Felix. Pray for Monica. Pray for Pastor Jose. Pray for Pastor James. Those leaders are on the front line of a ministry that is so extraordinary, but also very, very difficult. And then the second thing is you can pray for our folks, those who are joining with us as we serve our local community. You can lift up the fact that we're going to be there on the first Saturdays of the month serving, and we're only there a few hours. But you can pray for our energy, 
You can pray for our attitudes as we serve. You can pray for those things. And we really want to just see God show up. And something that's pretty neat is when you're serving, and if you've served with us, you've seen this, but people often ask us, why are you serving? Why are you here? On a Saturday morning, why are you here? And we don't know their names, we don't, but we know that God does. We don't know their names, but often it's just, hey, we're here to serve you because that's what Christians do. That's what the church does. And I want you to be a part of that. And the first Saturday of the month, February 3rd is a Sunday. That's Super Bowl. But February 2nd, I want to invite you to come out. Come out and serve at New Life Mission. And we would love, love, love to begin a connection there for you. And so if they wanted to do that, they're being motivated. What one thing could they do today to make sure that they're getting that information in real time? Yeah, on your Connect card. We talked about it a little early. On your Connect card, you can just write it. You could either write, hey, I'm interested. Somewhere, find a space. Our team will find it. You can find a space there. Or... You can just email me, will, W-I-L-L, at fourcornerschurch.com. That may be the easiest thing you can do. Just send me an email. I would love to send you the information about what's going on with outreach here. Yeah, and again, a great way. Uh, dads and moms, letting your kids see you sweat for Jesus on occasion is a really powerful thing. Why would we do this? Why would we come? Why would we work hard? Why would we push a broom? Because all of that is literally being the hands and feet in Jesus in a broken world. Well, I'm excited about what you guys are doing this year. I'm really excited to make that investment in the boys' home, a little bit of improvements on the girls' home, uh, the church in India. So that's, that's amazing stuff. I'm excited about what God's going to do in Cuba, uh, New Life Mission here 10 miles away, and now a new partner at the Healing Center. Thanks for your leadership. Guys, give it up for Will. You're killing it. Well, it's a new year. Everybody, uh, not everybody, but many people have, have uh, resolutions that they're making. You perhaps go into a time of reflection. I do that every year in a formal way in uh, November into December. In fact, I, I let the staff know and my wife know, hey, I'm about to go into that reflective time. And so you probably want to avoid me because it can get a little interesting for me as I start thinking through the year, what went well, what didn't go well, what I want to do next year better. And so I had a chance to do some of that this year. And um, when I thought about launching the year with you guys in a sermon series, I want to talk about something I think is one of the most important things that can happen to you this year. Uh, we're just calling it Hearing God. Uh, how this year in 2019 can you hear God in your life? I think it's one of the most important ingredients to a successful life is to hear from the Lord, respond in quick obedience, and watch the favor of God flow through your life. It's a pretty powerful thing. So it's the new year, we're making some changes perhaps, maybe you look back over the, the last year and you think there's some things you'd like to be different, maybe there's some things over the last year you want to continue, but as a, as a time of reflection, when I was thinking through the year, my mind went back to my time in high school. In fact, I have right now with me on this stage my um, Blue Raider yearbook from 1986. This was my junior year in high school, and I would bring you my senior year one, but we got it after... Um, right at the end of the school year, so there's no time to get people to sign it. But this one is littered with um, nice comments from my classmates um, all the way through, all the blank pages, all the way through the stuff. And um, there's a common theme in all of them. There's a common theme in all of the comments made from all of my friends who, in 1986, you know, we were wise and we were full of energy and we certainly knew more than our parents and our teachers and we were ready to tackle the world. And one statement keeps coming up over and over and over again in the comments that my friends wrote to me as they were wishing me well, launching into the next year. And in a very similar way, had we had our yearbooks the senior year, they would have wished me well in the year. But I brought one of them with you. Up. I, we just photocopied it from the, from the things. If you throw that picture up here, 
This is from a, a, a girl I was in class with named Kim. Here's what she says. She says, Benny, that's what they called me. Um, it's been a great getting to know you. You're a really sweet and smart guy, and you'll go far in life if you stay. Here's our key phrase. Stay exactly the way you are. Let's pause there for just a minute. She writes some other stuff. I was running for student body president. Uh, came in second, by the way. Didn't get it. Still very painful. Don't joke about it. All right. Um, but uh, stay exactly the way you are. 1986. Now, there's something about 1986 I'd love to say exactly the way I was. I had boundless energy, man. Boundless. I'm now 40 years old, and I don't have almost 50 years old. I don't have quite the same energy that I had in 19... I'd love to have stayed exactly the way I was in 1986 when it comes to energy. And I had this optimism about life that now I'm certainly not jaded, but now has been kind of tempered. And there are days I wish back and I remember how sweet and somewhat carefree I felt about the world. And some days I just long for that naivete that came from not being tried by fire with life a bit. And so there's something about 1986 in my life in it that were wonderful. But that phrase, stay exactly the way you are, is one of the dumbest things you can say to anybody. And my annuals, my yearbooks are full of people wishing me well and hoping that I would stay exactly the way I am. And if I have hope for you this year, it's this. It's please don't stay exactly the way you are. Please don't. Please don't. Now, there's some things about you that you do want to carry forward. There are some things you've learned, some habits you've put in place, some things you're doing well, some decisions you've made that have worked well for you. And I hope those things stay on course. But the truth is, is God's heart for you is that this year would be a year of growth and development and change. And some of you, when I talk about change, when we talk about in the life of the church, here's some things I've observed. Some people, when we talk about change, they're like, uh, oh, they're like the little puppy I have at home. When, uh, when I come home, no matter what time it is, she is there at the door, ready to meet me. And if I don't bend down and pick her up, she's pouncing on my leg saying, I'm here, don't forget. She's just eager. She's just eager to engage with me. And for some of you, when I talk about change, like, you're eager. There's about 1% of you, when we talk about change, that absolutely loves it, wants to do it, can't wait to get started. A larger percentage like the concept of change, but you know right away to talk about change requires some kind of effort. And that effort sometimes can be frustrating. Sometimes the effort doesn't produce the results you want right away. And there can be a delay between the effort and the reward. And you've been through that cycle a few times. And some of us in the room, honestly, are a little bit jaded, and one of the things I want to do through this message series when we talk about hearing God is try to talk with a certain amount of candor, transparency to the jaded among us, to the hurt among us. And the truth is, the last couple years, maybe the last few months, minimally, haven't been great for you, and you'd love change, but when you think about change in your life that you'd like to make, you're hoping that your situation changes, but you think about yourself and your immediate evaluation is, is, I don't know if I have the energy. I don't know if I have the get up and go. I don't know if I have the stamina or the grit to press through any more changes. What I would really like is just a slow and stable year. That's not wrong. But spiritually, what God wants for you, he wants this year to be a year of growth for you. Now, the local church is good at some things. We're not good at everything. But any local church, can, when it's relatively healthy, it doesn't have to be perfect. When they're relatively healthy, there are a few things they can help a person do. 
When the local church is relatively healthy, they can help a person grow spiritually. We're good at that. Let me tell you what we're not good. The local church has never been good at making somebody grow spiritually. We're really good at helping people grow spiritually, and we stink at making people grow spiritually. Do you understand the difference? There was a season in my parenting when my kids were younger, and they didn't yet learn fully that um, they were allowed to have an opinion. They hadn't even really thought much about having an opinion. They pretty much did what we told them to do. On occasion, they'd be tired, they'd push back. But generally, if we ramped up it just the right way, on occasion, we could pretty much make them do almost anything. You know, that's just the way it went in our house. But then they turned about seven, and things began to change. And things began to change, and we still had a certain amount of ability to make things happen, but things like getting your homework done on time and doing your chores on time and watching your attitude, you know, in the moments when you should be watching your attitude, those things weren't something that we were great at making happen all the time as parents. We wanted them to happen. We weren't great at making them happen. We were pretty good at helping our kids who wanted to do those things well, do them well. And that's the way spiritual growth is. Spiritual growth happens in this partnership between, in one sense, you and God. If this is going to be a year of spiritual growth for you, there's going to have to be a partnership now, God is God. He can make you grow. He can. But interestingly, when you read the Bible, that's not the way he tends to present opportunities for growth. Now, he's always working in the background for your good, no matter what we think and feel. But it seems like in the Bible, the language God chooses to use in the Bible is the language of partnership. It's a lot of, it's a lot of what is called if-then language. If you'll do this stuff, then I'll do this stuff. And if you'll do this thing... I'll do this thing. A couple examples. If you'll humble your heart and not be haughty and not to think, think too highly of yourself, then God says, I'll lift you up. If then. If, here, here's an example, kind of a famous quote of thing. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if, then I will hear from heaven I will heal, heal their land, right? That's from the Old Testament. That's all, this is all the way through the Bible. It's an invitation to engage the dynamics of spiritual growth. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to limit his power. He certainly has the power. He can. He can do whatever he wants. But God has consistently chosen to limit the expression of his power, and he doesn't force things on people in the way that sometimes I think maybe he should. He's not going to force you to engage him this year so that this year you develop a spiritual sensitivity, a spiritual set of ears to hear him with greater clarity. What he's going to do instead is he's going to invite you into the process. You get to do that. Now, here's the thing. When I was teaching high school, and I get ready to um, give a major test. We'd almost always take the class or two before a major test, and we would do some review over the material. An interesting thing happens every time we did that. Major test is coming. It's going to be 20% of the grade, 25% of the grade if it's you know, uh, the, the end of the semester test. And um, big, big deal. And the interesting thing that happened during those reviews, here I am trying to help them. And the kids who didn't need any help at all, guess what they did during the review? 
They listened as if they needed the most help in the world. They were eager to hear any hint that would help them on that grade. Now, they were already headed for an A. I mean, they would have passed the, the test of the class if they had gotten a zero on the test. I mean, that, that's how good they were. But those kids, when I would step up to help them, they were eager. They came ready. They'd sit down, notebook open, pencil in hand, ready to roll. And the kids who were on the fence, who needed the help more than anybody else, and here I am about to give them two days of my time to help them do one thing, do really, really well on that test. Those kids would come to class, and I tell you, it's like pulling teeth out of those kids to get them to just sit there, and I would say to them, write this down. And the kids who didn't need help would be like, <sighs> and the kids who were like on the verge between a D and an F, they would be like, and I'm like, write this down, right? You know how this works? So, so when it comes to spiritual growth, sometimes, Jesus tells a parable about this very dynamic, about receptivity. I, I make it a point to preach it with a certain amount of regularity. I preach it because I'm preaching it to you. I'm preaching this one to myself today. I want to start, if you want to grab out your message notes, I want to start with a couple kind of blanket statements that I think, for me, are very, very important to keep in mind, and perhaps they'll be important to you. So here we are on the brink of a, of a new year. We're at the very front start. Some of you have been doing some work already, thinking through stuff. I'm giving myself to the end of January to set all my goals. I'm a, running just a little bit behind. But I'm going to tell you something I learned a few years ago that I was reminded of this month. And the most important decision you can make at the beginning of a new year, at the close of an old year, new year, the most important decision you can make it's not, what are you going to do? It's not. The most important decision you make is not, what are you going to do? Um, are you going to lose weight? Are you going to get your finances in order? Are you going to do the addition to the house? Are you going to look for a job? Are you going to drill down on a relationship dynamic? That's not the most important decision you can make. The most important decision any person can make at any point in life is a very different kind of commitment. Not, what are you going to do? You ready for this? It's who are you going to be? The most important decision you can make in life is, who are you going to be? So I used to teach high school juniors, and they were ramping up for college life. I was in a school that demanded a lot about them, from them as it related to college. And so by the end of the junior year, you pretty much needed to know your top three college picks. And you were aggressively pursuing things. That's the environment we were in. And they were very committed to their to-do list, to their deadlines, and that's good. That's very helpful. It's good to have, here's what I want to do kinds of lists. Here's what I want to accomplish kinds of lists. But it was my job to help them understand that there was a more important question. What kind of person do you want to be? Uh, let's say all your dreams get fulfilled. Let's say everything this year happens as you'd like to have happen. Let's say all the bad of the last couple years could be erased. If that were to be true, who do you want to be in that place? What qualitative statements about your life do you want to be true versus the quantitative ones? You want to be at this weight. That's quantitative. That's a number. You want to have this amount of money. That's quantitative. You want to have these experiences. That's, that's helpful. Those are secondary. The primary questions really come down to who do you want to be? And I'm just going to be honest with you. Very few people ask that question of themselves. It's a question like this. 
not just what do you want to have happen in your marriage, who do you want to be in your marriage? That's even more important than who do you want your wife to be to you, who do you want your spouse to be to you. What kind of, in my case, what kind of a husband, what kind of a husband do I want to be? What kind of a father do I want to be? What kind of a pastor do I want to be? I'm going to tell you something. Once I started thinking through life that way, my to-do lists took on a different kind of nature. There was an internal motivation once I identified what I wanted to do that was happening. My motivation was higher because I had done some heavy lifting before I even got to quantifying what I wanted. I had done some heavy lifting about who I wanted to be. And once I determined who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do got more natural and easy. It was less an imposition in my life. And what I wanted to do became a pathway to giving me what I deeply wanted, which was who I wanted to be. And I want to tell you somebody that you may not have thought about who has a strong opinion about who you can be. And that's your Heavenly Father. He has a very strong opinion. He has incredible insight. He's incredibly wise because he knit you together. He literally formed you in your mother's womb. Sometimes in this world, we talk about people's births, their conception at least, being an accident, an oops, or an unexpected. Or... But when it comes to the Lord, the Lord doesn't look at anybody that way. Every single person was knit together by design by God. And then you have an opportunity in your life, an opportunity, not a requirement. You have an opportunity in your life to align yourself, who you want to be, with God's good purposes for you. In different seasons of my life, like 1986, when I was on the brink of launching into formal adulthood, I thought a lot about the to-do list and where I wanted to go and what I wanted to accomplish. That's all healthy and good in its right place. But I wasn't thinking that much about what I, who I wanted to be. One difference happened in my life that I want to share with you that doesn't make me a hero. In fact, it makes me, it makes me smart only in the sense that I woke up to an opportunity, an opportunity you have in front of you that I want to help you walk through today. I woke up to an opportunity to tune my ears, not to what the culture was saying, not to what my own prideful heart could say, but I woke up somewhere about this season of my life, 15, 16, 17, 18, to for the first time for myself, trying to say, what would God want me to be and do? And I want to tell you something. All the good stuff in my life, all of it stems from that question and how I processed it and worked through it. In 1986, I was dating a girl. I did not marry her. Thought I was going to, because, you know, when you're 16, 17, you pretty much know everything. At least I thought I did. Thought we were going to get married, had a life planned, what we were going to do. And then I made a mistake, or I made the greatest decision of my life, and I started asking the question, God, what do you want from me in my life? And I got early leanings that God wanted me to do ministry with my life. 
And guess what was the one thing she said she didn't want in life? She said, I don't want to marry a pastor. And that was fine. It was great. She didn't have to. Until God started saying to me, I want you to do ministry with your life. So now I've got a decision. Who do I want to be? Out of that, what do I want to do? And this parable that I'm going to read you began to speak to me. And I read it for the first time, heard it explained to me for the first time in a way that left indelible marks on my life. And I had heard it probably a hundred times. But this was the first time I heard it in the way I'm going to explain it to you today. And it became for me a watershed experience. It's the story of the seed. The farmer who sows the seed on the ground and there's multiple types of ground. And always before in my life when I had heard that sermon given, it was about different groups of people. There is this farmer who is God. There's this seed that is the word of God. Jesus tells us that. And then there are these groups of people. Some have soft soil, soft hearts, and they receive. And then there are people who have hardened ground, and the seed falls there. It can't take root. And some, some people are like, they have thorns in their life, and it was all well and good. Well, when I would hear it preached that way, I knew, at least I thought, which one I was. If I had to pick one of the four... I'm the soft-hearted guy, so I'm good. And then I had a pastor give this message, and he didn't talk about four groups of people. He said that there are seasons in your life when you can be any one of these people. You can be any one of them. You can have seasons in your life when you're incredibly soft-hearted to the things of God. And he talked about some of that. We're going to talk about that. Not complicated. won't take it long. There are seasons in your life when you can be a little hard-hearted, There are seasons in your life when you can have some thorns and the good stuff will grow, but then it gets choked out. You can do that. And so the challenge at any season in life is to make sure your heart is soft to receive the word of God. I'm going to tell you, friends, it's not complicated. If there's anything good in my life. When I look back at the end of 2018, as I launched to 2019, when I look at what was good in 2018, it's directly connected to my receptivity to what God wants me to know about Him, myself, the world, what He wants me to know about my alignment to His purpose, which is all about who I'm going to be. It's simple, and it's some of the most profound work you'll ever do. So... Why don't you turn in your Bible, if you don't mind, or in your message notes to Luke chapter 8. Let's read the Word of God together, and we'll just make a few points, and we'll draw some application. Luke chapter 8. Farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. So this path is the little footpaths in the field, plowed by hand. And in order to maximize the crop yield, you don't walk all over the, 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 the field. You walk in the same pathways so that you can tend the plants over the... And that pathway over time gets compressed by the weight of the walker. They walk on it in the same way. Well, when he's throwing the seed broadcast style like they would do, some would fall here and it gets trampled onto that hard ground. And when it 
gets trampled there. It doesn't get tilled under. The birds see it. They come and they eat it up. Verse 6, some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. It fell on rocky ground. The roots can't penetrate. They can't pull up the nutrients. It looks promising on the front end, but on the back end, it's not. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it, and it choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, and it yielded a crop. Look at what kind of yield. A hundred times more than what was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is what I'm talking to you about today. Developing a spiritual set of ears. Everybody who was listening to Jesus had ears. Everybody who was listening to Jesus heard the reverberations of his vocal cords as it compressed air and was received by their tympanic nervous system here in their ears and translated into, everybody had ears, but not everybody had ears spiritual ears. So listen, if Jesus is saying, if you can hear me at all, listen. It's funny, Jesus says this phrase over and over and over again. It's like the, it's like the teacher saying, this is going to be on the final exam. This is going to be on the test. Write it down. And his disciples asked him what this parable meant. You know what? I love these disciples. And again, one of the reasons why I, I, I believe in the validity of the Bible, one of the reasons is these disciples that are going to carry the gospel, without them there is no church, there is no message of the gospel continuing. These disciples are as raw and honest, and there's something about their raw honesty that puts them in the place to have healthier, more receptive spiritual ears. Look, look at the honesty of this. Jesus is talking about seed. It's not that complicated. When his disciples get together with Jesus, the disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? It's not a bad question. Leaning in with God. God, I don't get this. Help me understand this. Give me wisdom. Give me insight. They're very open to be taught. And one of the secrets to, to your life this year, to my life, one thing I'm trying to help my kids understand, we had two or three conversations about it over the holidays, is a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit opens you up to the things of God. A, a teachable spirit allows you to receive the wisdom accumulated from others. Wisdom from others is a gentle teacher. There is a harsh teacher. Wisdom from others given to you received through a teachable spirit is a gentle teacher. The harsh teacher is the wisdom you get from making the mistakes yourself. That's a harsh teacher. And I've even heard people take pride. Unfortunately, I've lived it a little bit too, where I have either lived or thought or heard people say, you know, I really pretty much have to make my own path. And when I make my own path, I live by my own experiences and I have to do my own thing and then I finally get it. I, I get that. that. That makes perfect sense. But I want to tell you, the Bible encourages you to not do that and instead to live by the wisdom accumulated through other people who've already been where you want to go, done what you want to do, thought through what you want to think through, and then you sit yourself down, requires a certain amount of humility, with a humble heart, teachable spirit, and you listen. That's what the disciples are doing here. What? what Jesus, we hear you. What does it mean? Help us understand. 
we, we want to know what you know. We heard the story, but we want to know what you know. And so Jesus says in verse 10, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. It's an interesting phrase from Jesus. Everybody got to hear the message, but only some people are going to get the meaning. By the way, that's church, isn't it? People come, they go, you sit here. I've sat in your seat many times. You sit in a seat and the message is given and there are seasons when you're just not as open. Some of you got guests to come with you for Christmas Eve Eve and we gave a simple explanation of ways to approach the darkness and light, life and how Jesus is the light of the world and some of you are sitting there like I was with my guests. God, please let today be the day that the meaning hits them because you want for them something from the Lord. You want it for your kids. You want it for your spouse. But they're not in that teachable place yet, right? Nothing's worse than a parent watching their child go through a season in life when there is wisdom to be had. Perhaps the wisdom has even been spoken, but that kid seems to be bent on only doing their own path as if there's some kind of reward for eking your own way out, oblivious to the wisdom available to you. Here's what Jesus says in verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. These are the birds. So they may not believe and be saved. We're always reminded with Jesus that there's a spiritual battle. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. So they're all excited, and then they're gone in four weeks. They're really, really eager, and the first thing comes. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but if they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those who, with a noble and good heart, hear the word, retain it. And by persevering, produce a crop. And I want to remind you the kind of crop that happens when you're just marginally open to the, to the Word of God. When you're just marginally open to receptivity. Even the smallest seed, the least amount, produces up to a hundredfold. A hundredfold. So, I'm going to give you four steps to hearing from God better this year. Number one, we've talked about already. Develop a teachable attitude. Develop a teachable attitude. I, I hang around a lot of development environments where people talk about generational differences. You know, the greatest generation, the baby boomers that came after them, the baby busters, I'm right on the verge of that, Gen Xers, millennials, the whole bit. We talk a lot about that stuff. It's kind of popular these days to put down millennials a bit um, interesting in any season you can go back in any season of literature and whatever generation is kind of holding the positions and they're always kind of looking with skepticism on the generation coming up that's a normal um, that happens but it's interesting one thing I've noticed about myself now that I'm at that age where I'm thinking about people coming after me is there's one trait among all the possible traits that for me seems to indicate the kind of people I really want to make a deep investment in. 
And so I'm going to give you some that I like first. I like, for instance, hustle. I like to work with people who hustle. I don't like slow. I'm just a hustle kind of guy myself. I like to see people hustle. When we're getting after a thing, get after it. I have a bias for action. I like that sort of thing. So I like hustle, but that's not the thing I'm talking about. I, I, I like grit. You, know, you guys know grit? There are books about grit. Grit is that raw stick with itness to just power through, you know? My dad used to tell us all the time, me and my brother growing up, I ain't raising no wimps, boys, get on it, you know, kind of thing. And I don't know if it's because of him. or just, I, I love grit, but that's not even the thing I'm talking about. I've learned for me, just you do what you want with this, you can think less of me, but I've learned you have to have a certain base level intelligence if we're going to like really partner together. It's hard for me to like get big things done with people who don't have a base level intelligence. And of course, all of you qualify, so I'm not talking to anybody in the room, right? So it's all good. But that's you know what I'm talking about. So I'm not talking about smart. I'm not talking about stick withedness, and I'm not even talking about speed. Teachability, <laughs> openness to be coached and directed. People who like the disciples ask questions. Help me understand that. I. I want to, maybe I don't even know if I like it, but I want to understand what you're saying. These are the kinds of people who demonstrate in pragmatic ways in our earthly life what I'm trying to get you to develop really spiritually right now. Just a general receptivity to the things of God, a willingness to hear and receive, to take advantage of the opportunity, to get ready for the final that's coming. Develop a teachable attitude. There are some things that stand in the way of a teachable attitude. I think James chapter 1, verse 21, reveals a few of them. Here's what James says to the church that he was writing to. This is the brother of Jesus, all right, which is very interesting. We have no indication at all in Jesus' adult life until after the resurrection at all that James, his brother, is paying attention to Jesus as the Lord of life. But some point after the resurrection, James, the brother of Jesus, commits his life to the way of Jesus and becomes a major leader in the church. James says to this to the followers, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And then look at this, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. There's something about a sinful engagement. There's something about moral decadence that blocks humility. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The hardest people to reach are those people who are committed to a lifestyle. The hardest Christians to speak to, the hardest kids to raise, are those that are, seem to be committed to a lifestyle that runs counter to healthy living minimally, counter to spiritually godly living. In fact, the Bible says that sin will blind you. Sin actually makes you stupid. It'll take you farther than you wanted to go. It'll make you pay more than you wanted to pay. One of the simplest things you can do at the beginning of the year is if there is unrepentant sin in your life, if there's hidden things, darkness in your heart, I'm telling you, it will crowd out a receptivity. It'll be very hard to humbly accept the word of God. There'll be a defensive posturing. You ever had to deal with a liar maybe in a work environment? You ever had to deal with a liar? Somebody who just couldn't quite tell the truth? There's always a defensive posturing about them. They're always on guard that they might be find, found out. There's a, an arrogance and a pride, often built on shame, of course, but there's an arrogance and a pride in them that prevents a humility and receptivity to be taught. It'll keep you from developing these spiritual ears. Number two, very simple point here. One of the most important things you can do this year 
is keep your appointment. Now, if you want to write down some notes, what I'm talking about here is a thing that around here we call chair time. I've talked about it enough that for those of you that have been here, let me just uh, say it again. The problem is, is, as I'm doing it, if you've heard me talk about this before, if you're still not doing it, okay, then you need to hear it again, all right? In some form or another, you have to position yourself to make an appointment to open God's word and receive his word. We call it chair time. So you sit yourself down in the same chair 15 minutes a day at the same time. You literally make an appointment. I don't make an appointment with the doctor and blow it off. I don't make appointments with people who want to see me and blow them off. If something happens, something happens, I adjust. But when I make an appointment, I know the time and the place and who I'm meeting with. That's what I'm talking about. Where is the chair that you sit in and open up the Word of God for 15 minutes a day at the same time every day? When I do it that way, guess what happens? I read God's Word. When I don't do it that way, I fall behind. So if I want to have an open heart this year to the things of God, if I really believe that God's direction in my life is essential to my success, one of the most important things you can do to demonstrate a teachable attitude, to be open to what God's saying, to receive the seed, set an appointment. Literally on your calendar, on your phone, in ink, with the 15-minute lead time. So you've got to get up at 6 o'clock, you got to go to work, you have to be there by 7, it takes you half an hour to drive, half an hour to get ready, so now we're getting up 15 minutes early. Or before you go to bed, whatever your normal bedtime is, and you don't let the day crowd it out. Set an appointment, make it happen, put yourself in the chair, open God's word. Number three, cancel the noise. Cancel the noise. There are all kinds of things that will vie for your attention. When you try to make that appointment with God, the silliest things will happen. You know, if you have young kids in the house, they'll ask for water four more times. You know, right at the time you're trying to read God's Word. That happens. You've got to cancel the distractions. You've got to figure out how to manage that. This has to be the priority, getting alone with God, hearing God. I don't think there's a more important decision you can make this year that will speak to who you can be and ultimately what your life will do over the course of your life that hearing consistently from God. And if you make that commitment, trust me, there will be a pushback. Some of that pushback, by the way, comes from things that aren't going on so much now. It comes from things that have gone on in your background. I'm just going to give three big categories. If you have unresolved hurt and, and, and offenses in your life, when you sit down to do spiritual time with God, those things are going to be before you. By the way, that's not accidental, and that's not even bad. That's the Holy Spirit calling you to deal with offenses in your life, whether they're done to you or things you've done. Sometimes you have to deal with them with God. Sometimes you have to deal with them in conversation. But unresolved offenses in your life will be noise as you try to engage God with open ears. Bitterness. Hurts from the past. Maybe something that even can't be resolved because the people are gone or it's been so long. But this deep-seated bitterness in your life makes your heart like the hard soil. So unresolved offenses. Bitterness. And then again, I've said it once, I won't deal with it, just hidden sin. Hidden sin will keep you from engaging the Lord. Number four. One of the most important things I can tell you about this year with your own spiritual growth. I put it in a little rhyme. Obey what you know 
and watch your faith grow. Obey what you know and watch your faith grow. Some of you think, I don't know a whole lot yet. That's okay. Let me ask you this. Do you know anything? Is there any gap between what you know the Lord's asking you to do, what he's calling you to do, what you've been called to do, and where you are in reality? Is there a gap? Start there. Take that one step into what you know and watch your faith grow. It's not that complicated. Obey what you know. Watch your faith grow. Look at what James again says in James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So this year, you and I have an opportunity. I can't make you do it. You have an opportunity to be open, to hear from God. And out of all the resolutions, out of all the change, out of all the stuckness perhaps, out of all the desire for calm and peace, the greatest thing I can offer you is a reminder that God wants to be a part of your life this year, that he is speaking. He's speaking through his word. And your receptivity to that word is going to play a huge role in your joy this year. And so here are some places you can hear the word. When you sit in that chair and you make your appointment. When you come to church and you open up your heart to the word of God. When you listen to a podcast, turn off this and turn on this stuff that's spiritual and speaks to the heart. When you make these decisions and you open your heart and you deal with what God brings up in those moments and you take your steps over time, this year will end differently than it began. You will not stay the same as you've always been. You'll grow. You'll grow. Now, for the rest of this series, we're going to talk, some, uh, talk about some other ways to grow, very practically and tangibly. And there is no guilt offered here. Nobody at the end of this is going to say to you, did you do it? And if you didn't, you lose points. You get demerits. You know, you have to go into detention. That's never going to happen. This is an opportunity for you and I to grow. So why don't you grab out your Connect cards now, and let's move it forward with a couple steps. I'm talking about being open to hearing from God, but it's possible you don't yet have a relationship with him. If that's true today and you're exploring faith here at the beginning of a new year, our next step A is for you. It says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. This is an opportunity to enter into a relationship with him, not based off of anything you've done, but literally based on the work Jesus did on, his, on the cross and in his resurrection. The Bible says if you'll trust the work that Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection to secure your relationship with your Father, Heavenly Father, then you can have a relation with him not based on your own works, but by what Jesus has accomplished. And you receive that by believing that what he's done is sufficient for you. We'd ask you to take your pen, check next step A, and put it in the offering bucket in just a moment, and we'll pray and give you a chance to do business with God. God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I want you to lead my life. I want to follow you. Our next step B today, I'm choosing to be baptized. Our first baptism of the new year is coming up in just a few weeks. This, these are always red-letter days for us around here. And so if you haven't yet been baptized and declared your public affiliation with Jesus, uh, this is the chance for you to check the box, have those conversations, and move in that direction. The next step C is very simple. It says, I will establish chair time this week. Remember, 15 minutes in a set place at a recurring time. Make an appointment, put it on your phone, have it ding you. It's my time, it's my appointment with God. And I'll send you a couple resources on that if you check the box, all right? Next step D, it says this. I want to grow 
or I want to attend Grow Step 1. Grow is our four-step process of development around here. Grow Step 1 is called Becoming a Member at Four Corners. It happens next Sunday, January 13th, between 1 and 4 p.m. We'll feed you lunch. All you have to do is respond, RSVP, to the link we're going to send you if you check this. It'll have some more information. This is your chance to decide if you want this church to be, in a formal way, your spiritual family as well. It tells you what we believe, um, why we do what we do, kind of the accountability structure around here, and it introduces you to the general ministry of the church. It's the bare minimum to understand what we're doing so you can make an informed decision about whether or not this church is your official spiritual family. All right? And even if you don't want to become a member, you can take the class, don't want to become a member, it'll inform you really about what we are and what we do and why we do it. And then next step, E says, I'm ready to experience the full abundant life God has for me. Please send me the link to sign up for the winter semester of freedom. In a few weeks, we're going to launch small groups. And one of the pushes we're going to do this semester, beginning in just a couple weeks, is the opportunity to go through the freedom experience. This is for followers of Jesus who would say, I'm going to heaven, but I don't always get to experience heaven here on earth. All of us have some habits and hang-ups and some hurts. This lets us deal with them. And there's two reasons to go through freedom. Either that's you or you have some people in your life that are there. We're going to both equip you to deal with your stuff. And we're going to equip you to help engage people you care about. So understanding the Bible, the power of prayer and community is what freedom is all about. And it's going to speak to some serious issues in life. We piloted this last semester. We thought we'd have 10 people. We had over 50 adults go through this program. And those people now are ready to give back and walk you through their same experience. This is for people who are 18 years old, 28 years old, 38 years old, 48 years old. It's really, really short-sighted to think that because I don't feel it, I don't need it, it wouldn't be good for me. God can give you experiences that aren't for you in the moment that you'll be able to refer to. He can give you experiences that will help you help others. And freedom will give you the language and the tools to help you understand how God wants to help you walk in freedom in life. Why don't you set aside your Connect card? If you call this church home, I want to give you an opportunity to support the ministries. You've already heard me say thank you for your generosity through the Christmas offering. That continues through January 31. I'd really love to see our percentage of participation go up. And again, we don't know unless you tell us. So on your check, on the envelope, go online, hit the right category, and give something. Be a part of this. Now there's some things brewing. I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. But next week, I'm going to share with you some amazing wow stuff that God has done through this Christmas offering already and through the generosity of this church. We set some benchmarks of what we wanted to give to the fatherless and the orphan. And because of incredible generosity and obedience of people in this church, that number just keeps rising. And I want to share that with you next week. But today, on the first Sunday of the year, I wanted you to hear me say how grateful I am to serve a church that gets that money is required for ministry. And you're willing to set aside money you could spend on coffee, you could spend eating out. Some of you give enough, you could buy a new car. And you give that to the work of God. Thank you. It's not wasted. You're making a profound difference. Let's pray about our next steps and our offerings right now. Father, thank you for what you're doing. We're grateful to stand 
in this place, to come together in this place and be in your presence on the first Sunday of a new year. God, my prayer is that this year would not end the way it begins, but our hearts would be softer. Our ears would be more open. We would have ears spiritually attuned to what you're saying. That we'd make meeting with you, receiving from you a higher priority. God, I pray for teachable spirits. I pray for humility to reign in this place. I pray that you would give us a year of growth like we've never known. And I'm not talking about numbers, Lord. You do with that what you want. I'm praying for the spiritual vitality of this place. There'd be freshness that would come into marriages and into parenting and into friendships and into our work that is the overflow of the spiritual renewal you're doing in our lives. Father, I pray that we'd make appointments with you. I pray that we'd walk in freedom. I pray, Father, that this would be a place where people come and hear the gospel and they grow as disciples. Now, Father, would you take our next steps? Would you take our offering and cause them to go very far and very wide for your glory and for our good? We pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.